So, in Mike's absence, um, you get to hear from both Shana and myself today, which is unusual for two people to preach on one day. You know, we could say it's cool and unique, like, you get to hear from multiple perspectives. I think the reality that just kind of went unspoken between Shana and I is that neither of us really were that keen on writing a full-length sermon between Christmas and now. So, you get a little homily from each of us, um, and then after we'll take a vote whose was better. So, um, you know, I'll start jockeying for that now. Um, that was a fun joke. Um, so we're officially into the new year. You know, Happy New Year, everyone. Um, we've left the season of Advent and December behind. And, you know, now we're even two Sundays removed from Christmas Eve. So surely, thematically, we're, we're moving on from the Christmas motif, right? Well, no. We're, we're not quite there. And that, that's not some convoluted attempt to, you know, wring one more week out of this theme, like we're not ready to dive back into our preaching theme on Genesis. This is actually, historically, what the church has always done. You see, we are liturgically in now the season of Christmastide because we just can't get enough of holidays and celebrating. What this is, is the 12 days that follow Christmas— and I, now, I, I know that probably everyone in this room has heard of the 12 days of Christmas, but probably not outside of the context of the song with all the birds. So what, what do we do during Christmastide? What is it for? Well, if Advent is all about yearning for the arrival of the Messiah, Christmastide then is all about enjoying the new reality. And then at the very end of Christmastide, which, by the way, is 12 days of feasting. That's how it's customarily celebrated. So, you know, if you are continuing to overeat, you now have justification for that behavior. At the end of these 12 days of overeating and celebrating and enjoying the arrival of the Messiah is the day of Epiphany. Epiphany. Epiphany simply means to, to make the mysterious known. It's, it's a kind of revelation. And why, what, what, is, what is epiphany? What do we do on this day? Eat more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not? Um, it is the day that we remember the Magi coming and meeting the Christ child and offering him gifts. And so, customarily, the church reads from Matthew 2, the account of the Magi coming to the Christ child on the Sunday before Epiphany, the Sunday in the middle of Christmastide. So that's going to be our primary text today. So before we hear from God's word, let's all take a breath, let's feel our weight in our chairs, and let's prepare to hear from the living word of God. Let's take a moment of silence. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. We trust your help. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, church, so as we look forward to Epiphany and enjoy the season of Christmas tide, let's now hear a reading from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the time of King Herod, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is the one who is born King of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was alarmed 
and all Jerusalem with him. After assembling all the chief priests and experts in the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, for it is written this way by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are in no way least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod privately summoned the wise men and determined from them when the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and look carefully for the child. When you find him, inform me so that I can go and worship him as well. After listening to the king, they left. And once and once again, the star they saw when it rose led them until it stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they shouted joyfully. As they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure boxes and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. After being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back, to another, they went back by another route to their own country. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, in this moment of silence, speak to us about your word. Amen. So there are a number of things that we could emphasize from this text, a number of things that have been parsed out really interestingly uh, in the history of the church from the, the response of, of Herod in particular. You know, he was just a really interesting kind of weird character. He was plagued by paranoia his entire life. I mean, he killed his wife and his sons because he was just a hugely paranoid ruler. Uh, or the response of Jerusalem as a whole when they heard. Um, many have talked about the symbolic nature of the gifts that these men brought to Jesus. Others have talked about the uniqueness of the divine dream that was given to each of them to not go back to Herod. And all of those are really powerful and interesting things and would be a perfectly fitting sermon, but maybe not for today. Because what I want to briefly point out is something that's probably hiding in plain sight. It says that these, these were men from the East. These were foreigners. Uh, commentators believe that they were probably from Babylon or Persia, either of which had a long history of warring with Israel. And so the, these men, these foreigners, these possible enemies, these Gentiles were the ones coming to worship the king of the Jews. Now, now we take that we, we take that for granted. Like, we've gotten very used to that idea. We've, we've incorporated the Magi as, you know, kind of our depiction of the nativity set, right? We, we, we've written pretty little songs about that. But that's weird, right? Like, that sounds weird. Like, Jesus was billed as the Jewish Messiah, right? Like, he was prophesied by the Jewish prophets. He's coming in the land of Israel. He's coming in the line of David, like, he's Jewish through and through, and yet this scene that we've gotten all too familiar and comfortable with is one where Gentile foreigners welcome him and treat him like royalty. One author and commentator kind of highlights how weird that reception of Jesus was when he said, The rulers of the day were hostile to Jesus. The Jewish religious leaders were indifferent towards Jesus. But mysteriously, it was the Gentiles who welcomed him 
and worshipped him. Another, another commentator puts it this way. He says, Matthew contrasts the eagerness of the Magi, despite their very limited knowledge of who he was or the prophecies that foretold him, with the apathy of the Jewish leaders and the hostility of Herod's court. You see, I think when we look to Epiphany, when we enjoy the season of Christmas tide and read the story, especially in Matthew 2, something, something was happening in this scene that was far bigger news for each of us than we normally give it credit, right? And I think the prophet Hosea explains this historical pivot really, really well when he says, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very places where it is said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. During, during this season of Advent, we, we considered what changed, right? Because Jesus came. You know, as we studied each of the four shortest books of the New Testament, we highlighted a few key things that changed because Jesus came. We talked about a new family. We talked about a new orthodoxy, a new holiness, um, a new economy. If you missed any of those, I encourage you go listen to the podcasts. They're all quite powerful. And now as we look to Epiphany, we recognize yet another new caused by the ripples of Christ's entrance into his creation. And that's a new opportunity for the Gentiles. We have been gifted by Christ's arrival, a glide path into the family of God. And then the New Testament just holds this reality up as such a precious a mysterious, sacred thing. In the, in the writings of Paul especially, he, he tells the Galatians in, in, in a famous passage, I'm sure we've all heard by now, there is neither Jew nor Greek. What a mystery. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you all, all my readers, all of you, are now one in Christ Jesus. The end of Acts, Acts 28 echoes the same sentiment, the salvation of God has come for the Gentiles. If it weren't for this historical pivot spurred on by Jesus' arrival into his creation, it would be a pretty odd thing. It would be a pretty bizarre thing for us, you know, right in Littleton in the 21st century, to hold Israelite and Jewish history as part of our comprehensive story, right? Like that would just sound Bizarre, unusual, weird, but because Jesus has entered his creation, this is precisely what we now do. And like Paul told the Ephesian church, through him, we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and non-citizens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Because you have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Thanks be to God. And I think, you know, this, this kind of idea, what we highlight for Epiphany, that, you know, we Gentiles are now included or have a glide path into the family of God. That can be kind of 
much more characterized in the, in the, in the category of reminding rather, rather than teaching. I mean, by virtue of you being in this room this morning, you at least have some sense that the God we're talking about has made himself accessible to you. But during this season, we appreciate how those things came to be. We remind each other intentionally how that strange historical pivot happened because of Jesus' arrival. And remarkably, this isn't the only thing that's changed. We've already highlighted quite a few through Advent and now in Christmastide. We celebrate those things. And so today, we want to be really thoughtful and consider what else was made new because Jesus came. Again, if Advent is for considering what will be different, Christmastide is for savoring each of those things and enjoying them and celebrating them. And so we're going to have an opportunity actually at our seats in just a little bit to do that with one another. Um, but first, Shana, you can start coming up for you know, part B of homily time. Um, Shana is going to model a bit about how we're going to think about this. So take it away, Shana. All right. Vote for Stephen. So, <clears throat> the History Channel, a very reliable source of history, by the way, history knowledge, historical knowledge. So, the History Channel recently told me that civilizations have been marking or celebrating some kind of new year for possibly 4,000 years. We have evidence that the ancient Babylonians would mark the first new moon following the vernal equinox, whatever that means, with a big religious festival that lasted 11 days. As civilizations developed more sophisticated calendars, um, the beginning of the new year shifted and changed for different peoples. In Egypt, the year began with the annual flooding of the Nile, something that happened every year. The first day of the Chinese New Year occurs with the second new moon after the winter solstice. The Roman calendar was perfected by astronomers and the Roman Emperor Julius Caesar and closely resembles our modern Gregorian calendar today, which most countries around the world use. Caesar just kind of declared that January 1st was the first day of the new year, um, partly to honor the Roman uh, god Janus, who was like the god of new beginnings. He had two heads. One could look back into the past and one could look forward into the future. And so he just thought, great. God of Beginnings, January 1, Janus, New Year. That starts a new year. Christian leaders temporarily moved the beginning of the year to um, December 25th, um, but Pope Gregory XIII reestablished January 1st as, the new, as New Year's Day in 1582. And it has been ever thus. These days, we celebrate the beginning of the new year in a lot of different ways, as I'm sure you're aware. In Spain, people eat 12 grapes as quickly as they can right before midnight. I kind of want to try that next year. It's on my bucket list. In other places, legumes, which kind of resemble coins, um, are eaten to bring, you know, financial success during the next year. Um, this is a tradition like the American South with black-eyed peas. Um, I didn't know that. I was really interested in that. Fireworks um, and songs, these are common worldwide. Uh, the practice of New Year's resolutions might even possibly date back to the Babylonians 4,000 years ago. Um, they would make certain promises to the gods in order to earn favor for the next year. 
The tradition of the giant ball in Times Square has taken place almost every year since 1907. The ball has evolved from originally a 700-pound iron and wood orb covered in like 12 light bulbs, I think, to one that is now nearly 12,000 pounds and many more lights. Other cities in America offer their own dropped items. You may not know this, but pickles, a giant pickle, is dropped in Dillsburg, Pennsylvania. Now you know. Or a possum in Tallapoosa, Georgia. I don't get that one. I don't ask. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Um, the History Channel had much more to share with me on the subject, um, but what I've shared with you so far this morning um, tells me a few things about us, humans, us, the human us. The first thing is that time is a human construct. Maybe that thought has already occurred to you at some point. Something that we've created over many millennia to make sense of the passing of the sun and the moon and the, the changing of the seasons and the aging of ourselves. This does not make time arbitrary. I mean, not at all. God has great purpose in the ordering of the universe. He made it so that our planet takes certain evolutions around the sun. He made it so that our planet turns on its axis in certain ways, and, and he ordained those things. He planned those things. However, as a skeptic, I, I admit I'm a bit of a skeptic, not a cynic, but a skeptic, I can't help but notice that we've kind of made up the beginning of the new year. Sorry. And I have to wonder, like, does it really matter that much? Does it matter? But also, this history, among many other things, tells me that we humans, we need hope. We need new beginnings. We need what they bring. We need opportunities to look back and to look forward. And we need to know that things don't have to stay this way, that they won't always be this way, whatever this way might be for the moment. God has made us to hope, and he's given us things to hope in. But I have to be honest, when I've tried to place my hope in the new year, it almost always lets me down. And these past few years of the pandemic have been the worst, with each year looking pretty much the same as the last. No real change in sight. January 1st might offer me a new number that I'm going to get wrong for the next six months, New months, and sure, new things to look forward to, new days with new mercies and, and new chances and second chances and third chances, and, and those are all good things. Um, but also, it's a day on the calendar, and, and it doesn't really hold any power whatsoever to make my hopes come to life. Uh, I'm not trying to be a fun sucker here, as the teenagers say. It's still a great reason to have a party. <laughs> Uh, it's still a great reason to eat good food and to be with good people and to celebrate good things that have happened and to look forward to possibilities, absolutely. You know, as Stephen mentioned, um, during the Advent season, we've been reflecting and studying on a few of the things that are the result of Jesus being born, Jesus coming to earth, a new family, a new heresy, a new holiness, a new economy. And perhaps um, you've been led to reflect on a few of your own because Jesus came realities uh, with the little journals that you took home. Because Jesus came, I don't have to trust in January 1st for new beginnings. A great and loving and powerful God has already promised his children a new beginning and many new things, all of them good in his eyes. 
I find it's always a really beautiful and encouraging thing to share how God is working in our lives, to share those new beginnings with one another. Um, and so this morning, we're going to take a little time to do that together. <laughs> uh, as a church family, take some time to kind of share what God is doing in our life and what new beginnings um, we are hoping in him to create in our life. So on that back table, underneath that wreath, you're going to find a whole bunch of cards with a concept on it or a behavior or a reality, something that God has promised us in scripture that he will make new. We're going to give you some time to look over those cards, to choose a card or multiple cards that speak to your hopes for new beginnings. Um, if you already have a few because Jesus came that you've written down in your journals, we've also got blank paper so that you can kind of write out your own. I'm going to give you a few minutes to look those over, to pray, to think, and to choose. Then I'm going to ask you to share those things with a few people around you, um, what you chose and why. But first, let me just show you a little bit about what I mean. I was preparing, as I was preparing these cards um, for today, the one with new patience kept kind of poking at me. Um, it feels like, it feels like lately I have just really exhausted my own ability to be patient and to, per, to persevere through circumstances that don't change or improve. I find myself um, tired and still grieving um, the loss of, of, of things and people um, during COVID. Um, trying to cope with big things causes me to snap at small things. I'm sure you've had this experience. <laughs> like chicken that's too frozen to cook for dinner. Oh, it happened just last week, ask my husband. I rail at the chicken and my inability to cook dinner and avoid facing the big things in my life. God reminds me that he brings me new patience for the new year, a patience that depends on his plans and the strength that he gives to wait on them. So my card has Psalm 37.7 on it. Be still in the presence of the Lord. Wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. I don't pick this card because I suddenly have this patience or contentment now. I pick it because I trust in God to bring about my hope for new patience. In Jesus, I place all my hope for new beginnings. So now it's your turn. Uh, find a card, share it with someone around you. Kids, you too, pick a card and share it with someone around you. Um, and let's just, you know, encourage one another with the ways that God is working in our life. Um, 